by golly, guess what today is? It's Thursday, and I'm recording another episode of As the Garden Geek. My name is Michael Cross, by the way. I am in charge here. I've been geeking gardening for 35 years. So here we are. I want to apologize in advance for today's show. Trust me when I tell you, I've already recorded most of it. Uh, I've already recorded the base of the show. It is not what I would call up to my standards because of a lot of reasons. One of the reasons is there's it is spring where I live, and there's all kinds of things going through the air and gunking. And uh, the other reason is, is today we're going to talk about pesticides, my annual talk about pesticides. So I recorded that as a separate file, and I had to take notes to record this because I didn't want to leave anything out, although I'm sure I have. So I'm stumbling through this and using my notes and editing a lot more than I want to. I mean, you know, and the other thing is, is I'm going to send that section of the show off to have it transcribed, and I'm going to use that in print somehow, somewhere. I will use that in print, probably stick it out on our website, which, by the way, I am working on. So relax, go ahead and listen, and here is my talk, and it's going to sound dry. I'm just telling you in advance, it's going to sound very dry and uncomfortable. It's going to sound uncomfortable because I was uncomfortable. I'm used to just coming out and going, right? But this one, I had to plan it more, got all these things going on in my nose and in my sinuses, and it's just... Uh, so relax and enjoy somewhat dull but very informative stuff about pesticides. So today, we're going to talk about pesticides. That's right, we're going to talk about pesticides. You know, chemical pesticides, natural pesticides, almost natural pesticides. We're going to talk about stuff that you spray on bugs and, you know, kill bugs. Pesticides also includes other things, though. Let's take a look at the word pesticide. Well, there are a lot of things that are pests. Insects are pests, yeah. Diseases and plants, that's kind of a pest. Weeds, they're a pest. All of these use pesticides. And when we talk about, you know, the pesticides, we talk about insecticides. That's what we kill the insects with. And then there's the herbicides. That's what we kill vegetation with. And then there's the exciting fungicides, which we control fungus with. Oh, it, it gets better. There's something called rodenticides that we control rodents with. How's that? So it all becomes a bit complicated. So let's break it down and make it easy for us all. When did we first start using pesticides? Well, believe it or not, we actually first started using pesticides thousands and thousands of years ago. When they finally broke open the pyramids and went inside to check things out, they noticed that among the remains there were something called pyrethiums spread all about, which is basically ground-up chrysanthemums, which works as a natural pesticide. And that was put around the people, the mummies around there, to help preserve and to keep the bugs from getting them. So that's one of the earlier uses of pesticides. 
that we have. And then as we went through history, uh, you know, there was a lot of plant-type pesticides that were being used, not all of them very safely. Nicotine was a big one that was used as a pesticide back in the early days, and nicotine turned out to be pretty toxic. So we all went about our way with limited pesticides until the Industrial Revolution, when factories and, you know, the population was taking off, and we had to grow a lot of plants to eat. You know, it was very important. So right around just before and during World War II, a lot of companies started creating a lot of pesticides. The first pesticides that were created are what we call chlorinated hydrocarbons. That was a class of pesticide back in those days. It included insecticides like DDT. Y'all remember that one, don't you? And chloridine and heptachlor and aldrin and dildrin. All of these chlorinated hydrocarbons. By the way, they're all gone now. DDT left in 1962 when uh, Rachel Carlson, uh, or Carson, wrote a book, and uh, the book came out, and DDT was one of the first things to be banned. It was just, you know, went away relatively quickly. Before that happened, by the way, DDT was everywhere. I mean, everywhere. I collect old pesticides, and one of the things I used to have, and I can't find it now, was a pesticide that you slather all over you to keep mosquitoes off of you that came from Fuller Brush Company. And the active ingredient was DDT. In the old days in the South, in Florida, they used to have these mosquito trucks that went around at night. And when I first moved to Florida, uh, they were still using DDT. This was in the early 60s. They were still using DDT in the foggers. And these things, these trucks would drive around at night emitting this big, thick fog full of DDT that would simply kill all the mosquitoes. And, you know, the kids would run behind the truck to be in the fog. It was, it was weird. But uh, that was around for a long time. Then it went away, like I say, in the early 60s. But another one, chloridane, was around. It was used in agriculture. By the way, DDT was used in agriculture. It was used in everything back in those days. But chlorodane was used in agriculture. It was used for termite control. It was used for pest control. It was used for all kinds of stuff and was around for years. It technically was banned for use by professionals. I think it was in 1985. And then... It was still on the market. I remember going to a Kmart store in 1988 and finding Chloridane on the stands. Homeowners could still buy it. It eventually all went away and was gone. And then there was others that I mentioned, the Aldrin, the Heptachlor, the Dildrin, different types of these chlorinated hydrocarbons that uh, had been on the market for years. They all disappeared. What was the reason that all of these products disappeared? Well, there were claims that it caused cancer, but the claims were never really ver verified. 
In my mind, one of the reasons these things went away is that when a chlorinated hydrocarbon hit the soil, it crystallized and it stayed there forever. Homes in Florida that were treated with chloridane for termites, for instance, never, ever, ever get termites again. Uh, They used to do pre-construction soil poisoning with chloridane. And those houses, my parents' house, uh, the house I live in now, all of them were pre-treated with chloridine or chloridane. And as long as you don't mess up the footprint of the house, in other words, as long as you don't build on to the house, you will never, ever, ever have subterranean termites. Kind of an interesting situation. But the other, that was good for that type of thing. But when it came to using it in agriculture and the chloridine was getting into the soil out where the crops are, that was something else. That was something that was, you know, very concerning at the time. So, you know, that all went away. They were replaced in the late 60s and early 70s with yet another class of insecticides called organophosphates. I got to tell you, the uh, horticultural industry and the agricultural industry was delighted to see the organophosphates hit the market. They didn't last as long as the chlorinated hydrocarbons, but they worked quickly and they had a, you know, 60-day residual. And agriculture loved it. Horticulture loved it. People were spraying lawns with it to keep the chinch bugs and the mole crickets and the grubs out, and they all worked really well. Some of these products, and you'll remember these names quite well, include Dursband, Diazinon, Orthene. All of these were products that were from the class of organophosphates. By the way, the whole term, organophosphates almost sounds natural but it you know these things gave us a lot of problems as also uh, they in addition to doing a wonderful job of killing bugs there was a significant safety hazard to people that were applying it not the people who you know were around where it was sprayed but the people who were applying it every day uh, it would Inhibit your cholinesterate in your in your body, and everybody who was spraying organophosphates were supposed to be tested on a regular basis uh, for that. And but not all of them were, and sometimes some real health problems happened. They started disappearing off the market in the early two thousands. Dursban went away, diazinon went away. All of those. Uh, all of those organophosphates just disappeared at that stage. Coming up next into the queue was another type of insecticide called carbamates. Now, carbamates happened about the same time that organophosphates happened, but they were a different class of chemicals. Seven was a carbamate, for instance. Most of the carbamates were taken off the market again for safety concerns for the people who were applying it. And in agriculture there was and commercial pest control, there were some very popular 
uh, carbamates, including seven, but also including a product called FICAM and some others that all went away. And uh, you can still find seven here and there, uh, but it is a carbamate and it is gone. In the 80s, they came out with another type of insecticide uh, called synthetic pyrethroids. Okay, so synthetic pyrethroids were just that. Now, pyrethroids are a natural pesticide that is made from ground-up chrysanthemums. But these are very quick-acting and, you know, make you allergic and all kinds of stuff. But again, a natural pesticide. Synthetic pyrethroids were synthetic. They were made in a lab. And they were very fast-acting, and they did a very good job of controlling a lot of pests. One of the problems with the synthetic pyrethroids that happened relatively early in all of this was the buildup or the immunity buildup in insects. Insects became immune to synthetic pyrethroids very quickly. Uh, there was a product, there still is a product called cypermethrine, which is a synthetic pyrethroid. When it first came out, everybody loved it. It killed insects very quickly, better than just about anything anybody had ever used. It killed insects on plants. It killed insects on buildings. It killed insects just wonderfully. Everybody loved it. It was a very big selling product. And some of you who are familiar with my old radio show, I used to advertise a product called Demon WP. Demon WP was cypermethrine. Well, almost as wonderfully as the product worked, one day, it just stopped working. It just plain outright stopped working on just about everything. And as these products started to be everywhere, I mean, all of the home and garden products were using synthetic pyrethroids, and they weren't working as effectively as could be, health concerns started to emerge about them. And some of them... Uh, became somewhat, I don't know, they're restricted as far as being able to be used outside because the government was worried about toxicity. So that was the synthetic pyrethroids. Somewhere in the 80s, an interesting product or an interesting classification of insecticides came out, and these were called neonicotinoids, neonicotinoids. Now, the interesting thing about these things, and they're also called neonics for short, is that insects did not know that they were there. So insects would travel through an area or a plant treated with a neonic and did not know that they were being exposed. And if you take insects like ants, for instance, or roaches or termites, they're very social insects. They tend to go back to their nest and groom each other. And the wonderful effectiveness of neonicotinoids were the fact that when this happened, they would infect all the other insects in the nest, thus killing out the entire nest. The first one that came out was by a company called Bayer. 
you know, the people who make the aspirin, same company. It was called imidacloprid, and golly gee, everybody loved it. I still love it. I love imidacloprid. It's used in agriculture a lot, still is used in agriculture a lot. Another one that came out was called fipronil. Fipronil became very popular for termite control and ant control and roach control in baits. So those are the two big ones. There are some others that have hit the market as well. Dinotefluorin is a very popular uh, neonic that is out on the market. By the way, another thing that people call the neonicotinoids are non-repellents. And that's, you know, pretty much what everyone calls them. They'll say, we're going to use a non-repellent insecticide. And for most situations, I think it's wonderful. There was a concern about the non-repellent insecticides and bee populations. That has pretty much been put to rest because the neonicotinoids or the non-repellents are very restricted in their use. And exposure to bees is something that is extremely limited to the point of non-existence. So I am a big fan of the non-repellent insecticides. As exciting as all of this is, now let's talk about what everybody wants to talk about, and that is the natural pesticides. And there's a bunch of them out there. Many of them don't work well, but many of them work wonderfully. If you've been looking at my material for any length of time, you've heard me talk about all-natural diatomaceous earth as a pesticide. And golly, it is wonderful. Exactly what is all-natural diatomaceous earth? Well, diatomaceous earth in its natural state comes from either salt or fresh water. I happen to like the freshwater diatomaceous earth. Millions and millions or even billions of years ago, not really sure, there were these little tiny creatures called diatoms that died. And then the fossilized remains of those became what we now call diatomaceous earth. Now, I like the natural diatomaceous earth that has not been heated to 2,000 degrees. That diatomaceous earth is used mostly as a filtering agent, and it contains up to 15% of something called crystalline silica. And trust me when I tell you, you don't want to be exposed to that. You don't want to get it near your lungs. You don't want to get it on your skin. You don't want to be anywhere around it. But the pure natural diatomaceous earth that has not been, it's called calcinated or heated to 2,000 degrees, is perfectly natural and works well. As a matter of fact, it probably works a little bit too well. I used to use a lot of it on shrubs around my house. I use very little of it now because not only does it kill just about every type of insect out there that it comes in contact with, but it also kills the beneficials. So bad insects want to kill them. Good insects don't want to. If you blanket treat with diatomaceous earth, you're going to kill all of them. How does diatomaceous earth kill an insect? It breaks down their waxy coating. They come in contact with it, and it cuts through their waxy coating, 
and they dehydrate. So they are now gone. Now, what is another natural pesticide? I spoke about it earlier. They're called nicotine products, okay? Nicotine sulfate is a very popular or, or very popular natural pesticide. And I don't like it. It is uh, highly toxic, in my opinion. There was a product on the market years ago. I think it was called Black Leaf, which was all nicotine sulfate. And it had a danger warning on it. And I was told by a farmer who was one of my early mentors in horticulture never to get near that stuff. He said, if a drop of it gets on you, there's a good chance you would die. So natural product, very deadly. Then we get to one of my favorites of the natural pesticides, and those are the botanicals. Some of them work really well. Some of them, or many of them, don't work well at all. A commercial product that I like is called Essentria. It has several different types of botanicals blended together in such a way that I have great results every time I use it. And by the way, there's a bunch of them. If you see in the active ingredient part of the label, sesame seed oil, you can be pretty sure it's going to work reasonably well. And I think you're going to like it. The problem with these products is that they are not long lasting. You've got to do repeated applications, which in my case, I don't mind. I last year in my front yard, had a small infestation of chinch bugs. Chinch bugs, if you don't know, are little tiny insects about a fifth of an inch long. With a, They're black with a white dot on their back. They burrow into the nodes of your grass and suck out the sap. It takes heavy chemicals, usually, to get rid of chinch bugs. It's quite a process. I used Decentria last year in a small area doing a spot application where I saw the chinch bugs. First, I watered the grass. Then I took my hand sprayer, and I just sprayed that area very thoroughly with the Essentria. And as I sat there and watched, the chinch bugs were coming out top. It was rather wonderful. But I must tell you that five days later, there were hatchlings. Now, had I used a chemical on there, there would have been a residual and when the hatchlings came out, it would have killed them. But I decided to go 100% natural using the Essentria. So five days later, I saw hatchlings. I did a second application. And then five days after that, I came back and I monitored. And I noticed just a few more hatchlings. So I did it again. 100% natural, 100% effective. Just three times the work of using a chemical. It's all kind of a trade-off but I feel comfortable using the botanicals and having a natural solution. I kind of like that. Now, let's talk about pesticides in general and their toxicity. The Environmental Protection Agency puts pesticides into now four different classifications. It used to be only three. The first one has a signal word on it called danger. If you see an insecticide, and on the front of the label, it says danger, that is a very toxic pesticide, one that I will not use. The next classification is warning. If you see a pesticide with warning on it, 
It is pretty toxic also. I no longer use pesticides with warning classifications on them. I just don't. And then until just recently, the least toxic pesticide that you could use had a signal word of caution. And most of the insecticides that you're going to find at the big box stores or your garden centers or wherever are under that classification, the least toxic, yet still some toxicity to them, enough for the Environmental Protection Agency to put that classification there. Well, in the last couple of years, they've come out with a new classification. And this is the classification called generally regarded as safe. The product I talked about before, Essentria, is in that classification. It's better than caution. It's generally regarded as safe. So you can feel very secure using products like that. Myself, I feel very secure using products with caution labels. And by the way, there are some natural pesticides, many natural pesticides, as a matter of fact, that have caution classifications on them. But I feel better about using the products, the botanical products especially, that have the generally regarded as safe classification. You will not find a signal word on the label. You'll see in fine print, it is called generally regarded as safe. I hope this helps you a little bit learning some general things about pesticides. There, so now you have it. That is my totally dull and unexciting talk on insecticides, rodenticides, uh, you know, all of them, uh, fungicides, insecticide, all of them. It, it's all right there. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week with something that is a little bit more fast-moving. Enjoy, everybody. I'm Michael Gross.